Thanks, Sarah. Good morning. For those who maybe came in a little late, my name is Adam Kasel. I am the executive pastor here. Uh, before we jump into our message, I want to give a, a little bit of an update from our senior pastor, Randy Gooder. Uh, for those of you who may not know, maybe you just started attending over the last couple of weeks, um, our senior pastor, Randy Gooder, um, at the end of last year, realized he was kind of on the edge of burnout and decided he needed a couple of months off. So that's what he's doing. Uh, the plan was always that he would take that time off and then come back. That is still the plan. Uh, he is uh, he's going to be back at the beginning of March. He did send an email to all the elders on Monday and uh, just let us know he's doing doing really really well. He, he said there's. Lots of grace on him during this time, uh, lots of healing, and he and Jane are, are enjoying their time and already starting to see the Lord do some, some great things for him. Uh, I talked to him on the phone on Wednesday, and it was probably the best I've ever heard of him uh, in, in quite a while. So really good news. Thank you for praying for him. Please continue to do so and, and pray for us while he is gone. So... Hopefully that encourages you all. Now, uh, to jump into our message, have you ever been a part of something that everybody was really into? You know, maybe you were on a team, uh, working on a project, uh, at work, or a family vacation that everybody was really engaged and super excited about. Or have you ever been a part of something that maybe you were really excited about, but a number of others in that project team, whatever it was, didn't share that excitement? Or maybe you were the dissenting voice. Well, either way, those experiences could have powerful memories and emotions connected to them. If it was a great experience, we think back and we think, wow, that time was amazing. I love that. Or even if we're in the midst of it, we think, I hope this never ends. Or if it didn't go so well, you may think back to it and think, that was awful. Or if you're in the middle of it, God, please let this end soon. Get me out of here. Right? Our level of engagement impacts our personal and corporate experience of something. The engagement of others can have an impact on the rest of the group or us in, in that experience as well. Well, th this morning we're at the end of a series that we're calling In This Together, where we're looking at the three values that we hold as a church and how they apply to corporate worship. Now, corporate worship is not just what we do on Sunday mornings, but I'm contrasting that with any worship we may do on an individual level. So as a family, that's corporate worship. Uh, as a small group, that's corporate worship. As a ministry, if you worship together, that's corporate worship. So as a reminder of what our three values are, the first is freedom. And we define that as being unhindered in the way that we approach God. Last week, Ian talked about expectancy, which we define as a deep belief that we'll encounter God's love and transforming power. And this morning, we're going to talk about engagement. Now, at this point, I normally 
would have invited, invited Nancy Hendrickson up, but unfortunately she's not feeling well. Um, don't, don't think it's COVID as there's other stuff going around. So um, we're going we're gonna to share a video in our weekly email this week uh, from her talking about engagement. But the definition of, of engagement is being present before the Lord by bringing our full selves and attention to him. We bring all of us to all of God. Now, part of this, uh, as, as Nancy and I were, were talking about, she wanted to, I think, note that, you know, we all have our personalities that are a gift from God. But as we engage in worship, we're not limited by our personality. So if we have a more gregarious, outgoing personality, our worship doesn't always have to be expressive and outgoing. Sometimes it could be, we could be led to being more reserved. Or if we naturally have a more reserved personality, that our worship doesn't have to be always reserved, but can at times be expressive. What's important is that we're following the Lord's leading. Now, speaking of the Lord's leading, a couple of weeks ago, I shared how the David's Army team that I'm a part of, which, um, as a reminder, David's Army is one of our intercessory prayer ministries uh, that these teams of, of at least six people pray over the whole church or a ministry of the church at various weeks throughout the month. Well, the team that I'm on um, got a couple of emails a few weeks ago as we were talking about this series, and I read one of them um, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to read this one because I feel like it really ties into this idea of engagement. And this person asked me to keep Keep them anonymous, so I'm going to honor that. They said, I asked the Lord what he would like me to write and got, quote, I take the lead, unquote. I thought of how Moses was high-pressed with the Egyptians on his tail and the Red Sea in front of him. Impossible situations that we may be led to. We may be led into a storm or into chaos. But the Lord says, quote, I take the lead, unquote. He does what we cannot do. He takes us places we cannot go on our own. He gets the glory for it. He has already explained his way through his word. What is written is a promise for us to cling to. Also, David wrote about his anguish and would sometimes end a psalm by asking God, where he was. There are some with no resolution, or they quickly flip to assurance. The point is David looked for God despite being in an impossible situation. Despite what he was going through, he searched for God. God may not come when we expect him to, but to the faithful, he shows himself faithful. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, my ever-present help, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord is a reward of those who diligently seek him. He is coming and will keep his promises to us. So this morning, what I want you to remember and take away is that engaging God in worship where we are. We want to 
remember and look at engaging God in worship where we are. So as a group, when we come together, we're all coming from different places, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Sometimes we're in situations that we didn't have much of a say over what happened, but we do have a choice about bringing ourselves fully to God and to engage God in worship wherever we are. Now this morning I want to look at Psalm 84 to, to guide us as we, as we talk through this idea. So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to, to turn to Psalm 84. Now I'm going to do something a little bit different from me. I'm going to read a section. I'm going to share some thoughts, read a section again, share some thoughts, etc. Now depending on what translation you are looking at this morning, um, there's a Hebrew word that occurs twice in this psalm. So again, the, the psalms were originally written in Hebrew, and it's called Selah. We don't know exactly what that word means, but it most likely means to pause. So each time I'll stop is, is when I reach a Selah in the passage. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you for the good things that you have for each one of us. You have something that you want to say to each one of us this morning, and so I ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. Father, would you unite our hearts that we might walk uh, undivided before you? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read uh, the first few verses. And I'm going to read uh, what's called the, the superscript, the italicized part, which, if we're honest, probably a lot of us skip, right? When we're reading, reading through the Psalms, we just skip over that italicized part. But it's important uh, for this psalm. So it says, For the director of music, according to Gatith, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. All right, so I want to talk about Korah for a minute. This, this psalm was written by the sons of Korah. Now, Korah was a man who lived during the time of the Exodus. So if you if you didn't know, for a period of over 400 years, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt until God miraculously delivered them uh, through his partnership with Moses. Now, Korah, as I said, was a part of the, this group of people, part of the nation of Israel. And during the Exodus, while they're in the wilderness, seeing God in these miraculous ways, Korah leads a rebellion against Moses. 
he and a, a bunch of other people decide that they want to take Moses' position and authority. Now, Korah was actually one of Moses' cousins, and he was jealous of Moses. So the way God handled it was the earth opened up and swallowed all those who were part of this rebellion. Now, a number of Korah's family was involved in this, but not everybody, because we have some of his descendants that wrote uh, 11 Psalms. I bring that up because we're going to come back to that later on in the message. Now, the first part that we're going to look at is engaging, in God, engaging God in worship where we are is engaging God in the temple. Now, in this passage here in these first few verses, the author is not in the temple, but he wants to be there. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it's important to remember again. The temple is where heaven and earth intersect. It's where the Israelites believed God's presence dwelt. And so the author wants to be where God is. The language that we see in verses 1 and 2 are what I call these yay God moments. right? These times where everything within us says, God, I want you. I want to be with you. How lovely is your dwelling place, God. My soul yearns and faints for you. My heart and my flesh cry out for you. This is poetry. So essentially the author's saying, all of who I am longs for you, God. Now the central prayer for, for Jewish people, even today, is Deuteronomy 6.4. It's a prayer that they pray multiple times a day, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The author's using some of that language here. He's saying, God, that's how I love you. You say that this is how we're supposed to love you. I love you that way, God. Now, the soul for the, the Hebrew thinker is not the immaterial part of us, but actually a better translation is throat. So the way that our throats need water and food and air, so the author needs God. I can't live without you. He says, again, his heart and his flesh cry out. Now, again, for the heart in the Hebraic mindset, it's not like ours. Everybody do this with me. Come on. All right. This is the new Indy Vineyard salute. That's not. <laughs> All right. Here it is. All right. So the head for us, right, this is our intellect, our will, our thoughts. And for us, when we talk about our heart, this is where our emotions, we talk about emotions coming from our heart. When we hear something sad, we oh, my heart broke when I heard that. Or my heart leapt for joy. Now move your hands down. All right, for the, for the Hebrew thinker, the heart is actually the seat of thought and of will and intellect. Emotions as well, but mostly emotions are in the gut. You feel down here. So when the author is saying his heart cries out for God, he's not like Buddy the Elf, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. 
This isn't some emotional response, purely. He's saying, everything who I am, I'm directing toward God. He wraps up this section by saying, those who dwell in the house of the Lord, they're blessed. They're the truly happy ones. Now remember, not everybody could go into the temple, just the priests. So the author is recognizing how fortunate they are that they can go into the temple. That verse 4 is really a summary of the, the previous few verses. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. God's presence is in the temple and he, the author longs to be there. I mentioned this again a couple of weeks ago, but it's really important we remember this space is not the temple. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the true place where heaven and earth meet. And we, as individuals, are the temple. So when we come together, when we long to be in God's presence, what we're really longing for Jesus, longing to be with our brothers and sisters together, That's why there's something that happens when we gather with others to worship. We experience God's presence in a way that normally doesn't happen individually. Last week, Ian mentioned about for himself, oftentimes he's not ready to really worship God until the end of the service. I was really upset with him because I was going to share that. That's, (laughs) That's my feeling as well. Oftentimes it takes our whole time together to really get me ready to worship. A number of years ago when my wife and I were at the Evanston Vineyard, one of the founding pastors, uh, Bill Hanawalt, who uh, he and his wife Cheryl live in Indianapolis and now call this their home, he talked about how we need conferences because we, the, that Concentrated time of worship and teaching helps us to engage with God that our weekly rhythms don't. So there's times that we're in the temple and we engage with God. Let's look at verses 5 through 8. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. So the author says, not only are the priests blessed, but everyone whose strength is in Yahweh and is on their way to the temple is blessed. So the next part of engaging with God where we are is engaging God on the way. The author affirms the priests. You know, again, he calls them blessed and he calls those who long to be with God blessed. Those who are on their way to meet God. God. Now, the language and the imagery in this section is uh, quite a contrast to verses one through four. 
Verses 1 through 4 is about the great joy of being in God's presence. 5 through 8 is about the slog of life. The author says that these people go through the valley of Baca. That may or may not have been a geographical location, but it's definitely metaphorical. Because that word Baca can actually be translated weeping. So as they're on their way to the temple, they're in a time of sorrow. They're still engaging with God because sorrow is not a lack of faith, but it's honest faith. Let me say that again. Sorrow and being honest about our sorrow is not a lack of faith, but it's an honest faith. Because God can only bring healing when we're honest about where we are. If we're in denial about any sorrow that we're feeling, we can't experience what God's going to turn that into. Now, the author says something really interesting here. He says, these tears will be a place of springs and autumn rains. So these tears that we feel, they're going to be of benefit to others. When you live in an arid desert climate like Israel, Springs are a source of life for travelers. If you're traveling from one area to another and you come upon water, you stop and you fill up as much as you can carry because you don't know the next time you're going to come to any water. The author says they're also like autumn rains. Now that's a little bit different than the springs, but it actually develops this idea even further. The autumn rains are what Israel had to trust God for every year. That's what their crops needed in order to have enough food. In the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, rain, or lack thereof, was connected to the faithfulness of Israel or their unfaithfulness. So if they were being faithful, God would send the autumn rain. If they were unfaithful, God would honor their desire to not be a part of their lives and withhold the rain so that they could feel the desert of life without God. So this weeping is a walking out of our faith. The author says that as this traveler takes steps toward Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem and again where the temple is. It's not just benefiting other people, right? So these springs of water, these autumn rains will be of benefit to others someday, but it also benefits the walker. That as they go, they go from strength to strength. Their strength is increasing. As we move to the Lord, our strength increases. As we move toward him, we get stronger in his presence. That's what happens when we engage God in our sorrow and on our journey to the temple. So verse 4 was a declaration about how blessed those are who dwell in God's house. And verse 8 is a request. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Maybe that resonates for us this morning. Asking where I am, 
Will you hear me? Will you bring your refreshing presence? Will you do what you'll say you'll do and bring the autumn rains? I also liked last week when Ian talked about engaging with God in expectancy that we'll meet him when we don't sense him. That's not fake, it's faith. If you're in the valley of Baca right now, the valley of weeping, it's not fake to engage God on the way. That's faith. It's saying, God, I know you'll turn this into springs and autumn rain and that you'll increase my strength. So again, another part of engaging God is engaging him on the way. Now the last part that we'll look at is from verses 9 through 12. Let's read those. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the last part of engaging with God in worship is to uh, engage God in contentment. Now, the author starts this section out with a, a request on behalf of the king. The anointed one in the Hebrew Bible can mean either the high priest or the king. Most likely here, it's the king because the king represents God's protection. Now, the author wants protection because, if you're looking at the, at the NIV, this gets left out, but because better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The author knows he needs the king's protection to be able to enjoy being in God's court. Now, the second half of that verse is significant. Second half of verse 10. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Let's recall what I talked about at the beginning. This was written by one of the sons of Korah. Again, Korah rebelled against God because of his discontentment. Somewhere along the way, this family learned contentment. The sons of, of Korah, they were doorkeepers. They didn't even serve in the temple proper. They were outside it, at the front door. They were today's equivalent of security guards. It's not to denigrate that job, but just to sort of give us a frame of reference of what it might be similar to. At that time, they would be stuck outside in the hot, beating sun. Or here, we'd be concerned about being in the cold and the rain. But he's saying it's far better to be outside in the hot sun than in the tents of the wicked. 
better to be a security guard for the Lord than to, than to attend an invite-only cocktail party of the, of the wicked. It's not to shun or judge those who don't know Jesus. This is about contentment. This is about not being a security guard or whatever your role is right now and, and hating that and instead wanting to be at that party, wanting to be a someone in the, Lord, in the world's eyes. Now, the, the author says verse, in verse 11, I'll read that again. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. It says he can have that outlook because the Lord gives his people what they need. Better than being a someone in the world's eyes is to be someone in the Lord's eyes. Upon these people, the Lord doesn't withhold any good thing. Our contentment is is when we desire that no matter what, we want the favor and honor that the Lord gives. Now, for the third time, the author calls a person or a group of people blessed. This time, it's those that trust in Yahweh. Right? This is another declaration and, and, again, a summary of the previous few verses. The person who can say that one day in the Lord's court is better than the thousand elsewhere, is the person who trusts in Yahweh. The person who can say it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked is the person who trusts in Yahweh. Engaging with God is, in, in contentment is not easy. Maybe we're in a time where we really want something, we want it so bad, our heart is sick. If you're like me and, and future-oriented, it's common to think, when I get there, then I'll be content. Anybody ever have that? Yeah. So maybe when I finish school, then I'll be content. When I get that promotion or raise, then I'll be content. When I reach that financial status, then I'll be content. When I no longer have this problem that I'm dealing with right now, then I'll be content. When my kids reach that certain age, then I'll be content. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. We can have the band come back up. So all of scripture is a, a story pointing us to Jesus. And Psalm 84 is no different. As I mentioned earlier, not everybody could just go into the temple. But when Jesus came and gave up his life on our behalf, he made the temple available to all of us. We all have access to experience God's presence in the person of Jesus, and when we are with our brothers and sisters. Jesus walked the ultimate valley of weeping so that we don't have to. 
his tears have become for us a source of life. And he gives us the future hope of that one day where we'll be with him forever. So this morning, again, we looked at engaging in God in worship, where we are by engaging him in the temple, engaging him on the way, and engaging him in contentment. If you will stand with me, we're going to enter into our, our time of worship. And as we do so, I've got a couple of questions for you uh, to think about. Namely, where are you this morning? Are you in the temple? Are you in the place where your heart and your soul and your flesh are crying out for God? You're in a yay God place. That's awesome. Bring that this morning. Bring that before him. Are you in a place of sorrow? Are you in that valley of weeping this morning? Bring that to the Lord. Are you in a time of, of discontentment? You know, as I was talking through that, there's an area or a few areas where you just don't have contentment. Just be honest with that and bring that to the Lord. Offer that to him in trust this morning. I'll pray and we'll enter into our, our time of worship. Father, thank you that you meet us right where we are. So help us just to be honest with you uh, this morning and to bring ourselves fully to you. As we sing, sing these words, if they don't resonate quite with where we are, may we offer them to you in faith that we'll be able to declare them as truth. bring what we need. So this is our offering to you this morning, Father. May it be pleasing in your eyes. Amen. celebrate communion together. So I encourage you to grab uh, the cup that should be on your seat and to, to get that ready. I'm going to read from John 14, verses 1 through 7. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, then you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know, you do know him and have seen him. The cracker represents Jesus' body that he gave up for us. The juice represents his blood that was poured out on our behalf that he would go and prepare a place for us. And so as we take it, we don't think about just what Jesus did, but we also look forward to the day when we'll be with him forever. And so as you're ready, feel free to, to take the elements if you want some time um, as family or friends to, to pray together, to reflect on what this means, you have time to do so at this time. Thank you so much for this time. I pray that you would just uh, equip our hearts to go out and be ministers of your peace, that your peace would guard our hearts as we walk forward in this world, that we are built on your foundation, that, that we have a destination and we also have a home that we are progressing to, that we are pilgrims on. But thank you that, Jesus, that you are the way. And that each step that we journey on, like we are coming to know you more, that you have laid yourself down to prepare a way for us to our home. Help us to see you in, in the journey as we go. And guard our hearts and help us to walk in love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we love you, Jesus. Let this all be for your glory. In your name, amen. amen. Go in the peace of the Lord.